podcast lovers, academics, aficionados, and producers. This is New Oral Cultures. Welcome to New Oral Cultures. I'm Dario Linares. I'm really pleased this week to be joined by two of the leading lights of podcast studies to discuss some of the major changes um, in podcasting infrastructure that have happened recently and its implications. Primarily, I'm talking about Apple's decision to add a mechanism for paid subscription to its podcasting architecture, a move that is arguably as significant as when the iTunes directory first specified podcasting in its audio genres. So joining me to discuss this is, first of all, John Sullivan, Professor of Media and Communication at Muhlenberg College. John, nice to see you and speak to you. How's it going? It's going great. Thanks so much for having me, Dario. Dario, I really appreciate being on. No problem. Always great to to have you back on and uh, listen to what you've got to say, particularly because this is right in your wheelhouse, what we're going to talk about today. And uh, we've just been talking off um, off mic about your current project, your current book. And yeah, how, how's that going? And and it's it must be quite a difficult thing to write with the the transformations that are constantly going on with uh, podcasting and platformization and, uh, you know, all of these shifts that are taking place in the in the infrastructure. Yeah, I always say that I mean, I've been, been writing this book for years now because it always seems like you're trying to nail jello to the wall and it's continually <laughs> changing and updating. And it's quite maddening, actually, when you when you really get down to it, because you're you're trying to get a beat on what's happening in the industry. And then all these and these are not small changes either. These yeah. are quite significant moves. Uh, so I started writing this book really long before Spotify really kind of changed the nature of what's happening in podcasting itself. And now that has seemed to create a kind of domino effect in the industry. And it looks very different. So when I was really working on this to begin with in 2016 and 2017, uh, podcasting, at least in the United States, and I think you can say elsewhere as well, looks radically different in 2021 than it did in 2016, 2017. Some changes for the good, some changes for the worse, some changes underway, and it's unclear where they're going to end up. But the the book itself I'm working on is called Podcasting in a Platform Age, and it's definitely trying to capture some of these moving changes. So yeah, as with anything in an academic project, you just have to realize and recognize that at some point you have to stop writing, <laughs> hit, hit send, and it has to come out in print. Yeah. And But I do always get the sense when working in podcasting that anything that we do and say and write and publish becomes immediately dated as soon as it emerges in print. Yeah. And with the the publication cycle being so long, you know, the uh, there'll have to be a very heavily caveated uh, conclusion I would imagine to the book. Oh, uh, it's terrible. <laughs> the the pace the pace of, you know, review and uh, it's just it's academics are are so slow and it's hard to explain to people who are working in publishing or in journalism or in the industry writ large when they, you know, you do an interview with them about uh, a book that's upcoming and they said, "Great. When can I expect this to be?" in print and i said well maybe 2022 if i'm lucky <laughs> yeah and who knows what podcasting will be like what it'll right, be like it'll it'll be. <laughs> um so yeah and i'm also joined by my co-editor from the new oral cultures book and writer of several of podcast studies urtexts and that's richard berry richard great to see you and you how are you doing yeah i'm not i'm not too bad i'm not too bad how's how's life in sunderland are you just winding up now with the students or have you done have you done and dusted with the marking and everything 
nearly, I think, one more day, and I might be there unless somebody lands a batch of uh, moderation on my desk, <laughs> which is inevitable, and uh, I've got a pile of external um, examining to do oh, as well. Oh, wow, yeah. Academic life, um, so I've got that to do, but hopefully by maybe the end of next week, yeah. um, I might be free and clear. Have you got research planned or on, on, ongoing for the for the summer? Yeah, I'm just at the minute um, pulling together um, an abstract for a book chapter um, that I'm working on. Just and I'm just waiting to hear back on feedback from a journal article that I submitted sort of sort of a week or so ago. Um, and I'm hoping to kind of turn that around and come back to us fairly soon. So um, hopefully, not too many changes with that one. But you never know; it could be. <laughs> It could be an extensive, extensive rewrite. So yeah, one or two things kind of on the go. Yeah, it's like building an extension on the house when you didn't really plan for it sometimes is what happens with peer review, isn't it? But um, yeah, hopefully it won't be too onerous. A little bit, yeah. I mean, hopefully I, I, I won't be. Um, but it's kind of, it's been an interesting article actually. And I think it's one of those that when you start to write it, you have a sense of what you think you might be writing and then you start to do the work. And in this case, this was interviewing um, people from industry and actually... Right. There's a kind of a, I think there's kind of a bigger, a bigger research project lying, lying in wait behind it. Now that's always good and bad, though, isn't it? Yeah. When you think to yourself, actually, a, a sort of um, starting point article can can lead you to to something that may be more more significant. Yeah, which is always good. I think, I think this is what this this may turn out turn out to be. And um, yeah, kind of it's one of the things you think. I think I think there's a sort of a theory here, and then actually, mm. actually, you, as you were saying to John, you know, the way this industry is changing something that is kind of you think wow, I'm thinking that's going and then actually while you're writing it's actually happening is you know the pace of change is such, such that it is absolutely um i should just also say that we were supposed to have um the wonderful kim fox on the show but she was double booked at the last minute and she kindly said that we should just carry on carry on rather than rearrange again because uh, we'd rearranged this chat a couple of times and uh, we wanted to to have the discussion within the ballpark of the the themes still being um kind of relevant so, yeah, let's get into a, a chat about what's going on in terms of the changing structures of podcasting right now. And what instigated this this conversation on me wanting to get you guys on was this piece you'd written in The Conversation, um, which is a kind of academic blog slash, yeah, it, it offers a space for sort of journalistic writing um, where you can transpose your academic work into more shorter, less, less formal pieces. But um, maybe, John, maybe we could start by thinking about what what is this fundamental turning point in terms of podcasting perhaps developing into uh, a new phase? What are the key points around this? Yeah, absolutely. I would say that there's kind of two key trends happening right now in podcasting and that I'm trying to map out a little bit in the book I'm working on. And the first kind of mega trend is what we might call formalization. And that's basically when you take something that's a cultural form and you place institutional structures around it and you begin to and it begins to become much more formal to you know to form, formalize and institutionalize that's happening in a number of ways uh, there's uh, all kinds of large companies corporations that have lots of prior experience in either radio broadcasting or tech companies that are moving into podcasting making huge bets financial bets uh, Spotify among them, making multi-million dollar acquisitions, things like Gimlet Media, purchasing Anchor.fm, which is still the largest generator of user 
generated content in podcasting today. If you look at the sheer number of podcasts, mm-hmm. Amazon recently purchasing Wondery for you know huge sums of money. So there's a lot of money being invested in podcasting. But it's not just that. It's the development of, for example, advertising markets. So I spent a lot of time talking about how really sophisticated forms of digital advertising, digital audio insertion, programmatic advertising, which is basically the purchasing of advertising markets through, uh, through computerized means. You've got the uh, Interactive Advertising Bureau having the podcast upfronts, which were just uh, this year's podcast upfronts were just a couple of weeks ago, very much looking like uh, ad sales in other forms of media like radio and television. Mm. And of course, you've got professional organizations like the Podcast Academy. We just had recently had the 2021 Ambi Awards. Again, these are institutions that celebrate certain types of podcast creation, and that you generally see those in kind of formalizing industries. And this is, of course, folding back on how podcasters do their own creation creative work as well. So I'm actually quite interested in uh, Richard's uh, comment earlier about, you know, interviewing people who are doing podcasting work, because this is starting to have some impacts on how they see their own work. Along with that formalization, of course, is the introduction of major tech platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts, which is rapidly kind of emerging as a sort of duopoly, if you will, in podcasting, the two most important players. And as anyone who's done research on platforms knows, these platforms are sort of the cosmic equivalent of black holes. They suck in traffic, internet traffic into them such that you cannot escape and they become kind of uh, entities unto themselves. And of course, the value proposition is, is that the larger the platform is, the more users, the more useful those platforms become. But then those platforms also begin to take center stage in shaping the medium in ways that are good for the platform and maybe not necessarily the best for listeners or creators alike. So all those kinds of uh, all those changes are taking shape in podcasting. Great. And and Richard, in terms of Apple and this decision that they've made to create a paid subscription possibility on their infrastructure, why is that? If you think about the history of podcasting and the history of Apple's relationship to podcasting in terms of being this all-encompassing directory, why is that an important thing? You know, how might we sort of understand how that shifts what we ha- what people like us and creators and even producers are working in the industry how might that shift the very nature of what we conceive of podcasting as yeah and i think it's i think it's interesting for a lot of the reasons that, that john's outlined in terms of um sort of apple's position if you like as a, as a platform and it's kind of it's been there it's been a key part of podcasting infrastructure um forever um, obviously, the name derives from that. You know, had they not invented the iPod, would podcasting be called podcasting? Would it still be here? Maybe. Um, but kind of what what Apple really seemed to have done up until now is they've just sort of used it as kind of cool points, if you like. It's kind of saying, you know, if you look at how they advertise the, their products, it's not saying how much RAM you've got. It's not saying how much space. It's look at all these cool things you can do if you have an Apple product you know you can you can make 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 a make a movie you can you can go to the gym and listen to all of you all of your music you can take photographs and share it with your grandma and all that kind of stuff but it hasn't monetized it other than the fact that it's tried to make itself sort of like the center of the ecosystem 
But then Spotify comes along as this big sort of Swedish juggernaut and really starts to kind of to threaten that, if you like. So I guess for Apple's point of view, this is kind of payback. This is how do we make money out of this? And I think that's always been an issue. It's always been a challenge. You know, how do you monetize podcasting for those creators who want to monetize? I just, sorry, Richard, just to interrupt. It's it's interesting because it's a completely different kind of economic model between Spotify and, and Apple historically, isn't it? So in a sense, what you're saying is Apple is making money from selling hardware, selling bits of kit that you listen to content on, but Apple is not interested that on, historically has not been interested in the content. Whereas Spotify has now come along and challenged the fact that you would kind of automatically just listen to podcasts on Apple devices. Most of the, you know, most of uh, podcast listening still goes through Apple devices and said, well, you don't need Apple devices anymore. We've got all this great content over here and you can kind of listen to that anywhere. And we're going to, we're going to kind of ring fence that content. So you come to us and Apple is kind of thinking, well, does that mean then that our, automatic position as the as the definer of what podcasting is is now disappearing does that kind of sum it up really i think so i mean i think you know apple apple are they're a tech company they're that they are ostensibly a hardware company as spotify are not that they're a, they're a platform effectively um but i think it's been it's been sort of a business solution in a business problem in search of a solution until now and how do you do it well you could do patreon or you can do advertising or you can do kind of reads or things like that and find or you know the sort of the, the night rail model where we'll make all these, these shows we'll make them for free but we're going to come round on a tour and that's when you kind of contribute and that's when you kind of chip in if you like you know and that's what you know they've done and people like richard herring uh, you know who says you know we don't really do advertising but come and see me at the theater buy my merch buy my dvds that's how you buy me a coffee effectively um so this sense that actually what they've created is this kind of almost um it's an e-commerce platform effectively you know charge what you like we'll take a commission you want to be free you'll be free you want to keep it in platform keep it in platform so they've kind of they've both taken that that kind of model um and that clearly has taken some time to develop if you like but i think it's significant because it marks that milestone at which it says right actually we're in this period of sort of medium maturity where actually we think the listeners will pay and there are creators who want to go down that that route john what do you think about being at that tipping point right now in terms of here is this medium that is essentially developed and and as almost its identity is correlated with this idea of being a diy culture and an open source ethos and all of that kind of stuff and the the creativity that that has emerged from that um, has allowed all these different kinds of weird and wonderful different sorts of podcasts, you know, that ha might have micro audiences or be completely and utterly niche. Are we reaching this th that point now where enough people understand what a podcast is and they are willing to be able to say, okay, here is this arena for the content that I want and I will pay for that. Do, are we at that point or is this still... A kind of little bit of a gamble in that sense. I, I think it's less of a gamble than people realize. But uh, what I see is the eventual kind of end point of this is a kind of hollowing out of the middle, if you take my meaning. So you're going to have some 
podcasts that by their very nature, because they feature celebrities who have huge social media or other media followings, you know, the Joe Rogans, the Michelle Obamas, the Dax Shepherds of the world that are going to monetize through either on their own or through these platforms. And they're going to generate huge amounts of traffic towards them and listeners and downloads. And with them, a lot of advertising dollars that follow them. And then you're going to get everyone else, which is, you know, uh, the indies, those people who launched a podcast and maybe they have ultra niche content, something like that. It's they're going to increasingly find it difficult to get that kind of that launch so that they can get a kind of consistent audience uh, that makes it at least uh, close to, if not financially viable for them close to financially viable such that they might either generate some supplemental revenue or for many of these individuals, they want to leave their day jobs and turn to podcasting full time. Uh, that kind of um, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, uh, rise to riches through podcasting as, as uncommon as it is now could become even more rare as a result of this. So we might have this kind of bifurcation. Are we going to lose independent podcasting? Definitely not. That's still going to be there. And if uh, Spotify has anything to say about it, they are they are prepared and poised to even monetize even the smallest podcast through their Anchor service. Because any any kind of content that shows up on Anchor, they can drop in advertising and get some kind of revenue from whatever traffic that small podcast gets. So Spotify is playing both ends of the of the gambit here. They are actively courting high profile talent like Joe Rogan, the number one podcast in terms of downloads to sign them to exclusive contract deals. But then yet they're also making a play for the smallest podcast, the new podcast through uh, their anchor service, and they can monetize around that collectively. So whereas one small podcast may have a tiny audience, if you combine all the listeners for all anchor podcasts together, that's a huge number of listens, but only at scale. So the scale is important here. Is then the, the, the driver, Richard, of, of kind of creativity in terms of, if you think about it historically, you know, this sort of, this sort of idea that anyone could uh, upload their content to the, the internet, if you could find an audience and you can expand, then anything's possible. Is there a sense that that is now going to be totally reversed? Are, are, we, are we already there where when these big tech companies are looking to put content out, it already has to have, say, a star name or some kind of branded or um, specific thematic that the monetization seems like it's going to, oh, there's going to be enough of an audience that monetization will will follow. And is that a problem? Yeah, I, mean, I think it's um, it's a complex one. I mean, I think the celebrity thing, yeah, um, there's quite a good piece in The Guardian recently, as uh, Fiona Sturges wrote about kind of all these, every celebrity now seems to have a podcast and they did them in lockdown and like, please, please stop because they're getting dull and there's some quite some sort of a uh, chatter within the industry um sort of the radio industry sort of the past past week or so here in the uk um bbc5 live had just launched a new podcast series about sugar just a racehorse that went missing back in back in the 1980s it's an irish racehorse when nothing went, went missing in the uk and they've got vanilla ice to present <laughs> it. i couldn't believe it when i saw that <laughs> apparently he's into racing but it doesn't 
feel like a fit. So are they just getting in a big name? Maybe, maybe not. But that certainly was kind of the feeling of people. And it's like, I don't understand this. And as I said earlier, I was doing some research with, with some production companies and they're of a similar feeling that, yes, you do need to attract a big name, particularly if you're going down that ad model and you need to fund it for advertising. And you've got to be in the top, you know, 1% really of downloads in order to be making good, good money. And and, and this is what they said, you know, if you get 10,000, you know, you're making, all right, if you're 100,000, you're making very, very good money, you know. Um, so some people will do that. What I think is interesting, though, is actually they say, well, all this proves that the long tail's a myth and that you can't get from being, you know, an amateur in your bedroom to being the biggest podcast in the world because of all that. But actually, you might still be number one in your niche and that niche might not be be very big. So one of the companies I was talking to work in branded. And so they say, actually, if you're working within a, an industry where they say 6,000 people in the UK and you're hitting 3,000, 4,000 of them, you're doing really well. Um, and your client is going to pay you money to make that. So, and and the, the indies, you know, you might be doing a podcast about, you know, knitting or board games or um, 1980s soap stars or whatever it might be. But in the, that your discipline, in your community, you might be number one, you might be number two. And actually, that might be enough. There might be something there. There might be a career there, or it might be augmenting other things that you do. So I think, I think it's not a kind of a binary, either you're a big success or you're not. Uh, I think, as John said, I think that's interesting, the idea that this middle ground, these middle ground shows are going to struggle because they're not super indie and super niche. They are trying to break across into that, that mainstream, but it's difficult because you need to find a way of funding that. And, and that could be... You know, I mean, I discovered recently that kind of Sony, Sony Music are quite now big in terms of investors into podcasts. So they've got a few deals around the world and they're putting money into terms of seed funding into these and helping with distribution. So it could be we see these brands coming into that middle ground, into that sort of middle to top end space, finding ways of supporting podcasters to produce work that then ultimately will pay back in, in other ways. So, yeah, I think, you know, I think, will will you be a big big name well maybe but you've got to have a name attached to you to start with you know what i mean you know they say oh well these guys did it but they were famous in other areas you know maybe that's part of the the kind of mythology of podcasting that needs to be sort of debunked a little bit that even back in 20 you know 2012 or 2011 that you know, there were all these people making amazing podcasts that were then got discovered in 2014, 2015. And, it, you know, and it, it relates. I think that's very true what you said there about the getting away from that binary thinking. And and even some of the ways I've talked about it in the past, this idea of there's institutional podcasting, there's independent podcasting, and one's good and one's bad. It doesn't really work in that way. I suppose my 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 thought is that I mean I know we're doing a podcasting on it a podcast on it today, but it's that sense that you know all the newsletters are about monetization and about size and about audience share and about who's bought who and all of this kind of stuff. And really, one of my sort of bugbears, John, is this idea that you, you know there's so much more about podcasting that needs to be talked about, and we try and do that in a podcast studies sense, but it does seem that the the, the conversation makes it seem like like there's this huge industry that everybody is kind of looking to make a buck out of. But really, I don't think that that, 
that really encapsulates what podcasting is and what's going on. And it's true, and it still remains true to this day that there's only a very small number of podcasters that actually are either looking to monetize or are doing it in any way, shape or form. So the vast majority of people who are releasing content on podcasts are not monetizing either by choice or because their downloads and their audience is too small, or it's not an audience that uh, advertisers care about or whatever. They're just there or they have other reasons for doing it. As Richard pointed out, branded podcasts, that's the, the point is to actually reach people with a message about your brand. And so you're not trying to sell them other kinds of things on top of that. You're really like you're the whole point of your podcast is to actually create brand awareness for your product or service. And then there's a lot of people who are using podcasts that organizations and institutions using it as a form of internal communication. It's a huge growth area. So large corporations have, you might have a weekly podcast where the CEO or CFO or someone is interviewed and then this goes out to all your employees on a closed RSS feed. And it's the equivalent of a kind of internal company memo, but yet it's taking the form of an audio podcast. So there's a lot of that going on as well. But the other thing that's kind of inevitable about, about this is that as more and more people jump into podcasting, you go back to 2005, 2008, 2009, you look at the number of podcasts that were out there. There were a healthy amount, but look at it now. Between 2020 and 2021, the number of podcasts available through the Apple Podcast directory doubled from roughly around a million to over 2 million podcasts. So now it's you have, as a listener, you have uh, an amazing amount of choice for the podcasts that you listen to, but you only have a finite number of hours in your day. Uh, you look at research from Edison Research does in their uh, infinite dial research every year. People, Even people who are hardcore podcast enthusiasts they can listen to or do listen to or have the time to listen to a maximum of maybe eight podcasts a week. And that's a lot. So if you take the podcast audience and even if you assume being generous that each of those audience members is listening to eight podcasts a week, there's no way you're going to be able to have distribution, uh, even distribution across that two million plus podcasts. So the key to the future of the medium and the thing that's going to be a challenge for anyone who's got a small podcast or is launching a podcast or thinking about launching a podcast is how you get discovered. Discoverability is the number one, will become the number one kind of bane of the industry. And that's where these platforms are going to come in and play an enormously powerful role because they can draw audiences to certain types of content if they want to. If you log into Spotify and you see that Spotify recommends and there are two or three podcasts on your home screen, that in and of itself is going to increase the probability that you find new audiences. And the reverse is also true. If you, if you never show up on that new and noteworthy or on that front home screen or something like that, or if you never get recommended by an AI algorithm, you can be effectively invisible on those platforms and finding an audience for your content can be that much more challenging. And I think that's the key, isn't it? It's that kind of this sort of professional sense of what you're doing, you know, so whether you've got a star name attached to you or you're just 
really good at marketing and getting your name out there and banging on the door. Um, I did some research years and years ago, um, throughout this kind of early days of podcasting. And I spoke to, um, the woman who's running KCRW in Santa Monica about online radio and, and podcasting. And she said, Oh, well, we knew the guys at Cupertino. So we went up there and we had a chat with them. We told them what we did and we got ourselves in, in, on the, you know, noteworthy thing on, on the iTunes homepage, um, because they knew people who worked there because, you know, they were part of that same kind of California kind of tech community. And and I think yeah you you you're right that that being on the homepage does that but how do you get on there Apple are not going to find you accidentally you know it's going to be oh I, we know that person because they're in the movies or because they're a musician or because they've got the marketing muscle of Sony Music Wondery the BBC NPR whoever behind who have got all these direct lines of communication. Um, so you know but the hope might be that actually what end what ends up we end up with maybe is kind of more indie apps start to develop and they go actually do you know what spotify apple you just get on with it you know like sort of the streaming platforms of amazon and netflix and they say we'll just do our own thing over here you know and uh if you want to find an app you know if you want to find a podcast about art well here's an art app or here's this apple and whether we'll see these kind of indie communities growing up because they just realize that that is a train that, that they're not going to be able to keep up on because yeah because it just they haven't got that financial muscle behind them mm. i'm wondering as well how much this is going to make it more difficult for people who are new to podcasting to get into it i know it's kind of like it seems sort of i've spoken to people who just this week a couple of more people are like just explain to me how podcasts work again and it's like it does sort of you know for us it kind of blows your mind but that sense of the interface between you know that there's podcasting in terms of the abstract notion of what that is but then somebody says okay i'm going to listen to a podcast and they get their phone and how do they where do they start do you think that like spotify and 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 apple are going to try and make that a little bit more streamlined in terms of the, I know you talked about it in the article, this idea of channels where it's going to look more like, like a TV guide that you can, that you can follow a little bit more easily. I think there's no question about that. And all of the, when you look at the sort of growth and new listeners, that's going to happen through these platforms because that's what people are using to access audio content. Right, whether they've got an Apple device and they just default to using Apple Podcasts or whether they are, they've got a Spotify account. And now if you're listening to music on Spotify, there's a whole, whenever you log into the app, now there's recommendations not just for music, but also for podcasts on the bottom half of the screen. And that's new. So that that's going to, that's going to generate a lot more uh, new listening and new traffic. And it's a good bet that those people who are unfamiliar with, let's say, the history of the medium or how it emerged or the fact that it emerged as the results of this kind of open architecture that harkens back to the earliest days of the World Wide Web, right, that there was this kind of uh, DIY amateur ethos surrounding this medium, that's all going to be that's information they can't access because what we understand as podcasts today is this thing that that Spotify is serving up to you because it's convenient, because it's available, right? Because you're already there anyway to listen to 
uh, your album or other music that you're interested in and suddenly you might get interested in a podcast or Spotify might say to you, hey, you seem to like listening to uh, this particular artist. You know that people on Spotify who listen to this artist also like this podcast. Check this out. Right? So, and that's great for discovery in, in a way of kind of like channeling that, but it does kind of reorient the whole nature of the medium. Uh, I mean, I, I talk a lot about, I've been doing a lot of research about how the whole mechanisms for measuring audience feedback and listenership has really matured in podcasting over the last uh, five to seven years. So there's a sense in which if you're part of a new medium where you have some rudimentary download numbers, but really you're kind of flying blind, you have no idea you know, to the extent to which your content is being consumed or what people think about it. You might get some reviews on Apple Podcasts or on any of these other directories. You might get an email now and again, things like that. But it's a kind of different animal when you can get moment by moment stats about in particular uh, who it is. Spotify is telling you not just uh, how many people are listening to your podcast, but some demographics about them, what other kinds of music they listen to on Spotify, uh, and at what point or moment during your podcast you see declines in listenership. So you can you can go on kind of moment by moment basis and see where your content was failing to connect with listeners. And all this stuff is kind of marketed as this kind of wonderful thing so that you can deliver even more value to your listeners. But it also commodifies and uh, it, 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 it turns your, this connection that you have, this wonderful thing, this intimacy that we keep talking about with podcasts, it turns that into a number and a numbers relationship. And that reorients the relationship between creator and listener in a kind of fundamental way. And that I think is something that, that it's, it's, a, it's a loss in a sense. Yes, it's better for ad sales and it's better for you know all kinds of getting all this detailed consumption but it also means that that kind of folds back on your own labor in interesting kinds of ways there's lots of great research on how that kind of level of moment by moment audience feedback through internet traffic data is folding back on journalists for example and is changing the way in which they see their own work and suddenly that their own within their organizations their whole evaluative structures are being reoriented around the internet traffic that their stories get on, let's say, the website. And suddenly, you know, if you're looking for that promotion, you're frantically hitting refresh on your browser to see how many hits your article is getting online. That's that's changing the nature of your work. So suddenly it's not about the quality of the journalism you do. It's how much how, how much it drives clicks on your website. Yeah, and that, I mean that's a huge problem, kind of with the internet more broadly, isn't it? You're mentioning journalism there, but that you know it relates to that this sort of world that we live in now, where the antagonism and the um, the ecosystems that we all e exist in kind of are driven by this idea that the most lowest common denominator or arguments or things that that are going to spike a load of interest in a very short period of time are the, the things that, that people want to produce because that that has the possibility of getting the greatest audience. And that that sense of being reflexive about 
you know, developing a piece of art is becoming more and more difficult. If there, if there was ever a space that um, allowed that before, it was it was podcasting. And um, yeah, Richard, in terms of teaching, how do students sort of think about that when they're producing work? You know, when you're working with them, in terms of, do you really try and make them think about just piece of audio that they're that they're producing, making it the best it can be, or is there a lot of thinking about well you know this will appeal to that audience or this will appeal to a different kind of audience it's kind of both really um i think it depends on which bit of the course that that happens in so <laughs> yeah i mean in in kind of the stuff that happens in in third year and on on postgrad then yes we're thinking right like how do we get the quality up how do we get the creativity up um what can we do but also i mean i think audience whatever we try and teach you know is at the heart of it is who are you trying to talk to what do you want them to do what are they doing what are they interested in so you then can think about how you're going to frame the podcasts that, that you make um so on on second year our students make and distribute a short series of a podcast so it's like so what are you doing what's your angle you know so you, all right you want to do news okay right so you're a newsy podcast well what's your angle who do you think is going to listen to this why are they going to find you why are you going to be discoverable you know um and what have you got if you like within within your armory you know um so it is kind of thinking about about your audience i think you know stuff that that john was saying that you then have the data and you get a sense then i suppose in terms of how that's how that's working i think you know with creative work in some ways the worst thing that that sometimes students do is they go well this is just something that's this that's convenient or this is well i'll interview that person because i know them and they make something that is fine um but they've not thought about well why is this person interesting to somebody who's not related to them, if you like? Um, so, yeah, I think I think in, just in terms of that, you know, and the art of it, I think, yeah, I think that there is a loss there because people are saying, well, I'm making this because it's the right thing to do. And I'm doing this in this way because it's right for for the topic. And probably a lot of podcasters will still do that, even if they have access to data. Um, yeah, I'm one of them. That's for sure. <laughs> well, and that, that's you know that's the fast five because you know it's like that's in some ways you know your read of your audiences, they are who they are. You know. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting that, that say for example, you know, you would have said maybe before he became the the sort of number one in downloads, the idea of a kind of center right um, UFC commentator slash comedian doing a three hour, you know, monologue or guest interview would why is that the most interesting podcast or why is that the most downloaded podcast in the world it's like you couldn't pitch that do you know what i mean so it's that that, that sense of discoverability of what is interesting maybe be uh, may may have come to an end in the form that we've we've understood it with podcasting i think i think you know i think that is it's in the niches you know my dad wrote a porno again that's not something that would have got through a pitch because it's like so so what's the show well i'm going to sit around at my flat with my friends and i'm going to read out these pornographic novels that my, my dad had self self-published why would anybody listen to that but millions of people do thousands of people have been to see them doing live shows in theaters because there's something in it that has a has an appeal if you like so, so i think 
you know, for me, for podcasting, you know, when students are coming up with ideas or saying that should be a podcast, it's like too mainstream, too broad. You know, that sounds, do it on the radio. It's a radio studio over there. Go and do that on the radio. When you're thinking about your podcast, it's got to be, it's, it's got to be niche. There's niche-ish anyway, you know, for it to have that, that resonance, that cut through. And there's there's also that that kind of focus as that kind of almost like confessional type of uh, genre, right? So even even when journalists do podcasts, and there's lots of our uh, lots of our colleagues around the world writing on uh, podcasts have talked about the the sense in which even journalists who are meant to be remote third party when they do a podcast, the podcast becomes a kind of confessional self-narrative. They insert themselves into the narrative, into this journalistic narrative. And that lends a kind of, uh, it makes it much more compelling because you're listening to someone's experience uh, in their own words coming through your earbuds or your your headphone or whatever. And you're, that, that creates that kind of bond. And something that, that has that, if, if it doesn't have that kind of confessional type of uh, orientation to it. it it becomes less it becomes more as you point out richard it may become more radio you know that's fine for radio but for podcasting you really want to know what kind of impact did this have on on someone's individual life so that that there's that that element of it the celebrity aspect though is a way of bypassing that i think or it's used as a way of bypassing that so like say for example you know, if you've got a podcast that just starts and it's an, an unknown person, you have to spend the labor building up that that sense of narrative and that sense of experience so that a connection could be made over time. And I think what podcasts, what these big companies are doing is say, okay, let's take somebody that the that the people already know. So so they're already feeling some sen sense of connection or authenticity or or whatever it might be, you know, connection to them. And and then we can just get on with being funny or whatever whatever it is. But I think that 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 kind of misunderstands the idea of where you know podcasting intimacy, if you want to use that phrase. But the the, the fundamental sort of depth of of what people get out of podcasting, it kind of bypasses that a lot of the time. And it's the kind of decision making that you that makes economic sense when you're sitting at a desk in an office at a multinational media conglomerate. But as far as like a listener or a creator in the podcasting space, that makes a lot less sense. But you can see how the logics start to percolate through organizations like that. And then you get, of course, the copycat effect. As soon as there's one podcast that, you know, one podcast that that becomes a kind of cornerstone of the medium, say serial or something like that, uh, it's then suddenly the decision-making becomes uh, centered on, can we make another podcast that's different but similar to that? And that's when you get the kind of copycat phenomena, and then it kind of rolls down a hill, and then you get lots of podcasts that are produced by major podcasting uh, networks and corporations, whether it's iHeart, SiriusXM, whatever, and then suddenly um, it becomes a lot less interesting because it starts to sound a lot more formulaic, and a lot more homogenous. And then you're right back 
you know, right back where radio is. And that's why people are fleeing radio to begin with. And so there's, there's a tension there and we're, we're still working through that, that tension. And I don't think podcasting as a kind of broader community of creators, listeners, and uh, professionals has really come to terms with the, uh, the nature of some of those contradictions. On the one hand, podcasting is wonderful because it's intimate, it's confessional, it's community oriented. You have the, you've cultivated this relationship. Everyone talks about relationships with your listeners. You have an obligation to them to put your best foot forward, to be truthful and honest and authentic with them. And in the same breath, on the other hand, the podcasting industry is telling itself all about these sophisticated data mechanisms for analyzing your audience and packaging your message just right. So you meet the audience's needs and you expand your audience base, which would seem to be a kind of conflicting argument with the first. So there's there's a tension here. You know, there's a tension that's that's continually unresolved. And that's what I find so fascinating about this medium is because on the one hand, you can have this this kind of celebration of community. And on the other hand, you have this celebration of consumption. And the two of those things sit side by side in an uneasy tension. Well, thanks for taking the time, guys. Uh, it's been uh, really fun to talk to you both as usual. Um, have either of you got a uh, recommendation that we could... Uh end on something perhaps that maybe people won't know about as always i kind of i have about 90 million different podcasts um i'm about halfway through um so one that i've been trying to work my way through um the bbc world service do some fantastic um kind of big budget shows they're just doing a series at the minute called um the lazarus heist uh which is about a north korean hack um um, following the one they did in Sony Pictures, um, stealing rather a lot of money from the Bank of Bangladesh, um, which is really good. Um, just waiting for the new episode to drop. Um, another show I've really enjoyed recently um, is a bit more kind of, it's sort of semi-indie, I suppose. Um, I think I've mentioned to a few people before, it's a wonderful spoof of the serial kind of true crime series called Cold Case Crime Cuts. Um which is a wonderful show um, that really spoofs um, that kind of sort of um, investigative reporter immersing themselves in the story and giving us all these wonderful little side stories that actually lead us nowhere to, <clears throat> to really understand what the the show's about. Um, that uh, so that's been uh, that's on the UK and the UK podcast. So so those are two that I'd, I'd recommend looking up. Brilliant. John? I listen to almost exclusively to podcasts on podcasting. So all of my recommendations are things like, uh, you know, Pod News with James Cridland and Podland, the, the more long form version that he does with Sam Sethi, which is always a very good. But uh, I, I, I have a personal connection uh, in my family to autism. So I've been kind of delving into this BBC Sounds podcast called 1800 Seconds on Autism, which is narrated by um, uh, young people with autism. And that has been really, it's, it's, it's quite wonderful and, uh, and empowering to um, hear some of these young people talk about their experiences. So that has some personal resonance for me. 
Awesome. Well, for myself, um, I'm I really like the the sort of enclosed series that are uh, almost kind of documentary podcasts about a particular event. And often, when you you know you could watch a film about it or watch a uh, you know watch a TV series about a particular moment in time that you know about, but you, you want the ins and outs of it. And I always like the way that podcasts really allow those events to be personalized. So the first one is a podcast called Floodlines, which is about Hurricane Katrina which I really, really uh, enjoyed and sort of went bit cr- crosses between the sort of pol- political decisions, the people who are in charge of those political decisions and how they impacted on people who are on the ground. So they interview people from both of those, uh, both of those groups, let's say, and then kind of get them together while giving you this overview of, of really the reality of what was, what was going on in, in terms of Katrina. And one of the interesting things about that podcast is the way that the news narrative actually drove um you know, the way that America thought about New Orleans and particularly about the, you know, the community living there and, and the, the stereotypes of poor people and black people that, that came through and were automatically taken as as truth by the, the media narratives. Um, so that was a great listen. And also, I really liked recently listening to Crushed, which is a baseball podcast. And it's about the um, the steroid era of baseball in the 1990s with the, the big hitters and how they all sort of were part of this conspiracy of silence and all taking all taking anabolic steroids and what have you and how the the league w- took so long to even admit that that was taking place and even now it's sort of a an open secret and and a lot of the stories that came out were just so fascinating about uh, about this period of time so yeah if you're into sports documentaries i definitely recommend that but that's it for this week on new oral cultures thanks for taking the time out richard and john great to see you both no problem yeah thanks so much And yeah, we'll catch you again on the next episode of New Oral Cultures.